This episode of Living Adventurously encapsulates all that I love about seeking out adventurous people for a good chat. My plan was to talk with Dan and Charlotte about Rerun, their community project to prolong the life of running clothes. But we just spent much of the time chatting about Bollywood dancing or being a crew member for the Team GB 24-hour ultra running team. It was a fantastic, varied, unexpected um, chat and I very much enjoyed it. Today's episode is sponsored by The Wave Project, an award-winning charity delivering surf therapy to young people at risk of isolation. They help young people experience a better life, overcoming personal challenges and improving their mental health, their confidence and overall well-being through surfing and one-to-one mentoring. Right now, more young people than ever are experiencing severe isolation. The WAVE Project knows that intervention can help them rediscover their confidence and happiness, at the same time as helping them engage with the UK's beautiful coastal environment. And that's where you can help. To find out more about the work and to become a supporter, fundraiser or volunteer, head to www.waveproject.co.uk or search for The WAVE Project on social media. I began my interview by asking Dan whether he'd rather tell me about running a half marathon age 12 or about setting up a dating agency at school. Okay, Charlotte and Dan, um, hello, thanks very much for um, talking to me this evening. Uh, My first question, I'm going to go to ask Dan a question. I couldn't decide what to ask you first about whether to go for running half marathons age 12 or setting up your own dating agency at school. So I thought I'd let you uh, let you pick which one of those you wanted to, to kick us off with. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. Well, you've, you've explained them. They're quite uh, simple. Now, you asked us the question, didn't okay. you? Yeah. Can, you? can you tell us something about your... Uh, what you did when you were 12 years yeah. old no, your, your, your early forays into living life a bit differently to everyone else so. oh yes that was so, it yeah. What, well, yeah. so maybe actually we'll talk about a dating agency because i don't think running half marathons at 12 years old back in the 1980s was that i think everyone was doing it weren't they <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't <laughs> <laughs> so i did i, I was uh actually i i I was a little bit of an entrepreneur at um, at school, and one of our various schemes was to set up a, a dating agency where people paid us, um, I can't remember how much it was, 50p or a pound to uh, to be part of the Dan Co. dating agency, and we'd match them. It was a pretty simple questionnaire they had to fill out about <laughs> what their hobbies were, and maybe we asked the question of what, colour hair you liked in a potential suitor and then we we actually (laughs) sat at night and matched people up and got them to meet each other in like somewhere near the dinner queue at lunch or something (laughs) and and, yeah that was the dating agency I think we I think there was some there was some successes it'd be interesting to uh to go back and see whether any of those matches are still together. I don't know. Wouldn't that be a wonderful story? Oh, <laughs> it sounds like you were a sort of early Mark Zuckerberg then. You could have been some sort of um, internet multimillionaire. How long did this um, last for? No, no, no. I, I am 47 years old. So the internet was, uh, no, I'm not an early Mark. Uh, what's his name? Mike Zuckerberg. Or, uh, so, no, the, the internet... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be described as Mark Zuckerberg anyway. Yeah. So how long did the dating agency last? Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe a few months, maybe, yeah, uh, before maybe there was like a, a half term or a, a Easter holidays and all was forgotten about. Yeah. Okay. So it, 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 it didn't last that long. Okay. Whereas the running has lasted a little bit longer. Maybe that's had more longevity, the running the half marathons at 12 kind of set me up for, um, I suppose, more of a, 
I don't know, a career or a, a hobby as running in, in my life. So maybe that is the more important one. Okay. So you stepped up, you gradually stepped up from half marathons to marathons. How much training did you do for your first marathon? Did you do a sort of full on diligent training schedule? No, not at all, actually. There's a bit of a gap in my life from the half marathon to the full marathon. The half marathons were 12 years old and um, various things got in, got in the way in between, like living life, being a teenager anyway. And I think I ran my first marathon at maybe like mid-30s, like getting close to 40. Oh, really? And it, Quite- yeah, it was... Yeah, it was, I kind of went back. It was always my dream to run a marathon, and I wanted to do it when I was, I think maybe I had to be 16 or 18, and I wanted to run the London Marathon. But, you know, you you just get involved in other things when you become a teenager, and uh, running a marathon, the dream of running a marathon kind of uh, disappears. But uh, when I kind of went back to running in my late 30s, I, re- I remembered that I had – I still hadn't run a marathon and actually it it was no training at all. I just went out and said, right, I've always wanted to do it. I'm going to go and do it now. And I, yeah, I just got out there into the South Downs close to Brighton where we live and just ran a marathon on my, on my own basically. Yeah. No training. No training. It's actually another story. It was, uh, I was, I was having not an argument, but uh, like a, heated discussion with a friend of mine that to run, you don't need to train to run a marathon <laughs> you can, and I still stand by that if you want to run a good time in a marathon you need to train but if you want to just run a marathon anyone can do it so that was kind of my I went out to run this marathon to prove to him that you could without training and yeah I, I was right yeah. and Charlotte what about are you much of a runner not much. I have run a marathon. It took me five and a half hours to do it, and it was the worst. It was worse than giving birth, and I trained really <laughs> hard. Okay. And since then, I maybe run, I'll do like a couch to 5K, and then won't run for three months, and then do that again, okay. and then et cetera, et cetera, yeah. yeah. I really like walking. Well, I like the idea of being a runner, especially when I'm around Dan and his peers, but uh and i'm really inspired especially by ultra runners but and then i go and do it and it's for me it's really hard yes so you your background was more from dancing so was is that is that fair say you grew up wanting to be a dancer yeah so i always i was put into classes really young so i always did that and then, and I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be on top of the pops. I wanted to be a backing dancer. <laughs> I wanted to be one of Justin Timberlake's dancers or or Michael Jackson or Madonna or that was my big, big dream. Um, and I went to the Brit school um, that's in Croydon when I was 14. And then I went to a contemporary dance school called the London Contemporary Dance School uh, and did my degree there. Um, so yeah, I did all all my training up to professional training, so and how, then I got pregnant. And then you got pregnant. Okay, which, <laughs> is, which is probably another story. So how how do you do a degree in contemporary dance? What are you writing essays, or is it all practical? What What's a degree in dance look like? So it's 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 really hard. It's every day. Um, we did about seven six to seven hours of physical work a, a day. So always an hour and a half of ballet, always an hour and a half of contemporary every day. And then you expected to come in early and do your own. And then we had either Pilates or Alexander Technique or some kind of conditioning as well. And then you might do point work or so a lot of physical. And then we did some practical. So dance history, um, choreography, dance notation. Um, so yeah, there was some, maybe it was a long time ago now, but I, I, Every day, at some point, there would be some some written work as well. What sort of thing are you writing about in dancing? Sorry, this, this is a totally new world for me. My dancing skills are non-existent. So dance history. So we would have learned about the greats in contemporary dance. So I don't know if you've heard of Martha Graham, 
Anyway, tell me, tell me, some, uh, give me, give me a few greats. Come on, we're going to do your degree in two minutes here. No, me. no, I can't. I don't want to. Okay, Martha Graham. <laughs> okay, MC, MC Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> or and then we would do uh, dance notation. So how uh, how you how you how you write dance. So like a almost like a code. Uh, choreography we'd be given themes uh, and then we'd have to work either solo or as a, as a group um, and then um, like record that record the process written is that enough yeah that's amazing I, so I, re- I recently read a book. From what I remember I read a book recently by some American choreographer Twyla Tharp or uh, cool it was about the creative habit and it, I found it so interesting at like her talking about how she tries to choreograph big dance things yeah. compared to other creative people, I don't know, book writers and things, just trying to get the habits and the routines and the disciplines to create something out of nothing. So um So yeah. my my love of dance was not was not creating dance. Mine was uh I liked to uh perfect to perfect it and be able to do somebody else's vision. That was that was what I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, rather than being the creative, I didn't actually like my choreography classes. I found it really hard to 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 make a piece based on the color blue. It just I couldn't, for example, it wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't appealing to me. So who are, who's fitter, a dancer or an ultra runner? A dancer, but not this dancer right now. <laughs> I think a dancer. Dan, so you strong, very strong. Um. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably agree. Yeah, <laughs> I think the dancer needs. Yeah, they're very strong, aren't they? The dancers mm. that I used to know, the well, and Charlotte as well. Yeah, I think ultra running, ultra running's it's easy. You know, you've just got to want to do it. It's a real simple. Just put one foot foot in front of the other, and just it's more about blocking out the noise in your head than actually being really physically. Fit and strong, yeah. So you, Dan, you moved up from marathons to ultra marathons. Um, so why do you want to do it? You said just then you've got to want to do it. Why do you want to run far? Um, I don't know. I think I can answer this really honestly, and I will do. I think, like, I've always had something in my life that's a kind of like a vice or um whatever we won't go into what they were but it for me running it's I don't know it's kind of like a vice and I think I don't know maybe I'm talking out of turn but I think most ultra runners we're we're in it people used to say to me what are you running away from why are you running so much and it used to annoy me a little bit but I think we're all running away from something it's a form of self-harm ultra running basically and um and I kind of run my mind's quite hyperactive always used to be when I was younger and I run just to calm uh, just to calm my mind and it's like a it's like a drug isn't it so if you run a marathon and that calms your mind but you run 10 marathons it doesn't calm your mind anymore so then you need to run longer and you need to so yeah to be completely honest I think it's just yeah it's it's yeah, it's just a Moorish addiction. It yeah. brings you a lot of joy, though. Oh, it does bring me joy. Yeah, does that sound like I'm? So it's, it's not. It's not just the suffering. Then it brings you joy as well. Oh, it does bring me immense joy. Yeah, because it brings me. It gets me to the point. I, I meditate as well, and I and but it. I find that running can. It's like a fast track to that to that um point of stillness and like like no thoughts when you um that you achieve through meditation but running's just an easier way to do it because you can just go out there i think as long as you're amongst nature and you're you know you're not listening to headphones or anything you can get to a point where your your mind just quietens down and it is yeah it, it's in, immensely joyful and, and when you hit that charlotte was talking about a minute ago when and we've talked about it together that 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 flow state that you used to get in dancing didn't you and 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 you get it in running when you just glide and you just kind of float effortlessly effortlessly above the surface and it is yeah it is immensely uh, 
joyful as well. <laughs> yeah. So you've you've but got addictive. Right. So yeah, geez, yeah. I can relate on a probably on a milder level to a lot of what you were just saying then. Um but what I find it interesting because ultra running to me seems like such a niche, quirky, low key individual type sport and yet it's part the what you do is un, part of british athletics you wear a gb shirt when you compete and if you win you stand on a podium and sing the national anthem it's what so what 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 part of british athletics do you fit under because you know it's um, not yeah yeah i mean it, the the part i run for uh the the British Athletics 24-hour running team. And obviously, it's it's not an event in the Olympics. Um, yet. But, I mean, yet, I don't know. It's uh, You do well to sell that one to television. It can be quite interesting, <laughs> 24 hours and round and round the track. Is, um, it, on, is it on so, the track? Yeah, so it's on a track. Oh. Um, it, the, the bigger events, like the World Championships and the European Championships, will be like a little will be like on the track but then they'll go out of the stadium as well because otherwise there'll be too many people on the track at the same time because there's like around about three four hundred people running the race so but it's never longer than about a kilometer loop so you're just round and round and round a kilometer loop again and again and again yeah but yeah we have our world championships we have a european championships as well as like a like lots of um yeah, 24-hour races that, that go on, you know, it might be for prize money, they might just be kind of well-known 24-hour races. So, yeah, we we fit, we are British Athletics. Um, yeah, we, we have the same, as, you know, as, as we wear the same kit, we have the same protocol as all the Olympic athletes, yeah. But, I think uh, I can see, we, are you wearing something now, aren't you? You're tucking away at the corner yeah, of my Zoom yeah, screen. I am. Like, show yeah. off your swag. What are you wearing? Oh no! It's actually we don't. Some of the kit is hideous, and a lot of the kit is all white, and that's a nightmare for me because I just spill stuff down <laughs> it. But I do have one T-shirt that I quite like. It's almost like a camouflage dark blue and light blue, yeah. Oh. Which um, which I do wear, yeah. That's um, all right, and you should do. You should wear it with pride to do that. But it's a very different thing, I imagine, to run around a track for 24 hours compared to say the more traditional ultra marathons of a to b like you the um you won the ultra gobi 400 is that 400 kilometers mm-hmm. or 400 miles 400 kilometers yeah okay. so about 250 miles yeah it, it is a different thing and it really is a different mindset um i much prefer the a to b's because there's there's almost like it's a journey, it's a journey and there's more of a flow to it and there's more of a kind of purpose to it, you know, and 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 with the A to Bs, it's really simple. The quicker you run, the quicker you get to finish, but round and round um, a one-kilometre loop for 24 hours, it's, you, you, it's hard to find the purpose of what you're, <laughs> obviously you're running for your country, but it's sometimes it's a bit of a, uh, melon twister in your mind you don't really know what you're like why am I doing this and yeah it's it, the journey it's yeah it's not a real journey and um so yeah I much prefer the uh being out in nature and uh running from mm. A to B rather than running round and round but you like to watch the round and rounds no yeah no yeah. I was just thinking that 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 why am I doing it normally sets in around 18 hours in your yeah <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm doing it anymore. <laughs> Charlotte, do you act as like a support crew on the the uh, round the track ones? Yeah, I've, I've carved a little position for myself because I just realised that um, Dan was having a lot of fun and I wanted to get involved. So, yeah, I, I try to crew and I'm part of the GB cr- crew team. So I go to the, to the, to the events and... I do crew down, but I'll, I'll crew another person as well and just help generally. So. What's the key to being a good crew in a 24-hour race? Staying awake <laughs> um, and being uh, adapt- adaptable um, and able to focus. No, not, not yeah, easily yeah, yeah. distracted. I think it's um, – I'd say – actually, I don't – I haven't crewed that much, but I'd say it's quite important to um, – 
for those 24 hours to kind of not have empathy and not get involved in emotion because it's the runners will quite often will be in pain and will be sick and will be ill and will be complaining for one minute one minute I promise I just need to sit down for one minute nope (laughs) and you have to be quite harsh with the runners and just tell them just keep running just stop moaning keep running like you're yes you're in pain but just keep running so I think yeah I mean Charlotte's learned that quite well haven't you over the years Mm. to uh the emotionless yeah. yeah only in the races yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man well, i would i would love to talk to you for about an hour about crewing in races this is just fascinates me in many ways but we've it, got... it is a fascinating thing yeah sorry i'll just because yeah. people often think that ultra running like you said yourself is a quite an individual sport but it's a massive it is a it's a team game do you know what i mean because you can't run those distances without someone but you can't run assistances fast without someone looking after you. No. you know what I mean, and it's often the crew people that just no one really recognizes them or realizes the job they do, and their job is harder than the runner's job. We just put one foot in front of the other, but they have to do a lot more thinking and multitasking. And yeah, I'm lucky to have a really good crew behind me. And ours doesn't end when when they end and we carry on. They get to sit down and we have to tidy up and hold the bucket while they puke. And so it's longer than 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, ours is longer, yeah. yeah. Oh. I managed to walk five miles just standing in the spot, on the spot crewing. Which I, I had a, a, a watch on. I was interested in how much I moved around. So just in our our gazebo that's maybe it's like a football a manager's meters. technical yeah, yeah. area. Yeah. 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 I, walked, I walked five miles. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My head's now bursting with questions about crewing, but I'm going to stop and briefly, <laughs> okay. briefly ask you about. Um, it was a bit hard to pin you two down for this chat because you're busy training for uh, a run. Is that something you want to talk about, or is that just are you on a mission at the moment? No, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. what are you, what are you yeah. working towards at the moment? So I I think it's probably in about two weeks, maybe two weeks tomorrow, we'll attempt to um, run from uh, John O'Groats, no, the other way around, Land's End to John O'Groats. The length um, of Britain. The length of Britain and get to as close to the the world record as I I can, yeah. What is the Um, world record? The world record is it's nine days and two hours, and that's to cover about I think it's roughly about eight hundred and forty miles. So um, I, I cycled it in nine days, just to put that in a bit of perspective. Okay, so I can try and be yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly, so how many exactly hours? nine days. Yeah? Nine days and how many hours? Or from morning till tea time. That's how accurate I am with yeah. my planning. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that's that's yeah. pretty good though. That's good going on a bike. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So that is actually quite quick on a bike. And that involved yeah. me and my friends. We had a van helping us out. Um so yeah, that puts in some perspective. You you've got some shifting to do on your feet. Record, the world record on the bike is something ridiculous, isn't it? It's like under forty eight hours. Yeah, it's 41, 42 hours. Because after we did it in nine days, we thought hey, we've got gas in the tank. Let's have a look at the world record for cycling. <laughs> ah, okay, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that is phenomenal, yeah. yeah. So you, you, good going. you tried this before. What happened last time? Uh, I tried it before and had like seven pretty good days starting off the other way round. So coming from John O'Groats all the way down to Land's End. And I think um, that got across the Seven Bridge, like, around about two days left for like to try and beat the world record and just kind of capitulated mm. yeah my, I just can't I just had nothing left in me and couldn't really carry on um so yeah and this something is, went wrong physically he started to swell started to puff something up yeah. not, <laughs> something not right yeah some sort of renal issue but um yeah, so this time we I'm going to try again. Yeah, because it's a, it was annoying not to finish it um, last time. So um, this will be exciting. And even if I don't finish it, I'll get to do the two days that I didn't manage yes. um, 
coming down the other way because I'll start the, uh, like in reverse. Yeah. yeah. And he's had a couple of um, that was two years ago, right? Yeah. Um, since then, has done a few more multi-day races as well to get the body used to it. Mm. Okay. Well, I would like to ask you about an hours worth of questions about this as well. Um, but I can't because we now we've got to keep moving on to um, India. Can we go to India now? So did did you two go to India together? Can you tell me a bit about uh, what what you how you ended up in India? Well, Charlotte, actually, yes, you should have. Um, when you asked Charlotte about you want you wanted to be a dancer, yeah, yeah. that Charlotte was a dancer. We were we were in India. Uh, because Charlotte was uh, dancing in the Bollywood films in in Mumbai. Oh, is that what you went so, there for? I thought you got. I thought you did that when you were out there. Yeah. Come on, Charlotte. Tell, we, tell yeah. us about dancing in Bollywood. This is because who cares about Lands End Children Groups? Tell me about dancing in Bollywood. So, with two small children and working really hard, we. Uh, we decided that it was time for an adventure and that life could be more exciting than it, cur- than it currently was. So we gathered a little bit of money together and thought we would go somewhere for six months. Where can we go where we can live like kings and just feel and just be outside and just have a great time? And we narrowed it down and we had a, a connection to to India. So we went to Goa to the southern, very south of Goa, to a little, at the time, unknown village called Patnam. It's very busy now. But we were one of just three uh, European families living there. Um, And we went initially just until the money ran out, but then we ended up staying for six months because I met a, a, a lady on two, the beach. Maybe they're two years. Not Sorry, months. two years. Yeah, no, we thought we would last <laughs> yeah. six months and we stayed for two years, yeah. I met a lady on the beach two weeks in who asked me what I did as a living and, and that was a real challenging question for me because I always wanted to say dancer, but actually I was working in a deli. So I lied and said I was a dancer and she was an agent for Bollywood dancers she booked white Bollywood dancers for for films so she offered me a job um or an audition rather there and then to see if it would be something I would like and two weeks later I was in Calcutta dancing tap dancing to Diamonds are a girl's best friend on a on a glass bar in a seven-star hotel that was kind of my audition and then after that uh it, it was successful I was then part of a group of girls and boys that would um, dance in. I don't know if you've seen a Bollywood film in the in the when they have the big dances, all the big be, chorus, everyone, loads of people. Yeah. So any any film that was set in um, in a Western country, they would do the big outdoor scenes there. So at Big Ben or wherever. And then the indoor scenes, the, they would fly the dancers over from England and do them in the studio. But I was I was already in India. And um, so I was one of those dancers. And um, I think I did about 12 films. We did, I, did, I worked about, yeah, about 12 films. And it uh, was brilliant. Yeah, it felt, it, I felt like I'd um, justified my training. Because I did all that training, and then I was pregnant, and I didn't dance, and then, and then that was that was my Justin Timberlake uh, top of the pops moment fulfilled. Amitra Bachchan, except it was Amitra Bachchan, yeah. yeah. So, were you in any uh, for aficionados of Bollywood films? Any any famous films? So, Kabi Alvida Narkana, although I'm I'm told it was a bit of a flop but it was very famous and Yanaman and um, the one with the car. Were you in that one? No. Is the one with the little, uh, the little men. The one with the little yeah, men. No, I, I can't, can't remember. remember that one. <laughs> yeah. So those would be the two most famous, Kabi Alvida Narkana and Yanaman. 
Okay, I'm gonna have a rummage on YouTube later. I, I, yeah. this, this is far more exciting to me than uh, either <laughs> Lands End to John Groats or running around a yeah. running track for 24 hours. So, sorry about that, Dan. But uh, no, it so- is really exciting. I think Charlotte didn't realise when she was doing it how quite exciting it was. I don't know. I don't think you had any like prior knowledge of Bollywood. And Charlotte would come back to the little fishing village where we were in Goa, and. Uh, and the, the locals would ask her, where have you been? And she'd be like, oh, I've been up in Mumbai. I've just been <laughs> doing this dancing job. And and uh, she'd say, oh, I've been working in Bollywood. And they'll, and they'll be like, what? Because it's just massive out there, isn't it? And then Charlotte would show them pictures. She wouldn't even remember the names of the stars that she was working with. And she'd show them pictures of her next, uh, I can't remember, like, John Abraham. And no, they, they just, that turn, I later realised it would it was blow like their, a god. Yeah, yeah, it would blow their minds that Charlotte had actually not like been in the presence of this uh um the these people. So yeah, it's huge, isn't it, Bollywood yeah. out there? Yeah. It was I still haven't managed to sit through a whole film. They're very long, <laughs> aren't they? Did training at London Contemporary Dance School and the Brit School, did does that prepare you for um Bollywood? Uh, no, I don't think anything could prepare you for Bollywood. No, uh, dance wise, dance wise, yes. Well, it's just very. Um, I don't know how to put it. Very. Um, very Bollywood. Very Bollywood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very Bollywood. That's. I think that's a good explanation. Yeah. Is it? I mean, a day day to day on a filming set. Is it as Bollywood as you might imagine it might be? Well, we're not the stars, so no. we are simply cor- one of the chorus dancers. Yeah, yeah. but it was. Um, it's certainly done in a very different way and any anything can happen and anything if if they want something done it will be made possible regardless of um, any hoops you might have to jump through here uh, and but which made it a lot of fun it was a lot of fun definitely yeah okay reluctantly I'm going to stop talking about Bollywood dance and actually, I'm going to scratch out on my notepad all the questions I was going to ask you about India. Um, because <laughs> we're talking about so many interesting things. We haven't yet got to what we're actually meant to be talking about tonight. So I'm going to accelerate. Maybe can you just give me an accelerated version through what led you in India to some sort of epiphany about litter, plastic and clothing? Uh, right, really quickly, uh, uh, the condensed version. So. Um, the, yeah, I I used to be sponsored um, by clothing companies and like running companies. Um, one time in India, it got to the point where your kind of sponsorship needs to be renewed, and we were looking at different. Uh, well, we were a bit tired of just that same old thing of like plugging things on Instagram and and just realizing that we were just cogs in the machine of consumerism and just selling more stuff just so I could I didn't even need it to go running it was more like a I don't know like an ego thing being sponsored all you all you're doing really is get giving clothes and maybe getting a few entries to races you're not really making much money but for that you're just trying to sell stuff that you might not completely believe in so what we really wanted to do was was like actually promote something that we believed in. And spending time in India is really good because one good thing about India is is everything is there to see. It's all out in the open. Like in this country, we hide things away, like even things like death and like rubbish and just. But India's India is just all there to see. And I went for a run. At one point, I can't remember what the city was called, but it would be like the equivalent of Reading in India or something. I was doing I was doing some coaching there, and I came back from my run and I was literally crying because there was just so much rubbish piled up everywhere. It was like it was just mounds and mounds and mounds of it for miles, and I just I just couldn't believe what we were doing, what we were doing to this world, you know, like our overconsumption was just it was just ending up in piles of rubbish everywhere that had nowhere to go and and we realized that it's it's not just india that has that problem like in it's it's probably even worse in the uk but we're just very good at 
digging holes and burying all our rubbish or shipping it off to China or India and just making people think that it doesn't happen. So so we came back from India and India's always been really good like that. It, I think it's good for your mind. You kind of you make decisions, you think bigger in India. I don't know. But we came back from India and we're like, well we really wanna we really want to do something and and I think the easiest way to make changes like if you want to make changes it is within your own community it's within your own locale sort of thing you could, it's very difficult to make massive worldwide changes but you can make changes amongst people you're within your community so we were like let's let's try and make a difference in the running community let's look at the things that are going wrong in the running community and the, and the waste that's that's created in the running community and let, let's try and bring awareness around and, and try to make a difference and, and yeah that's where rerun came from we, mm. we try to work with the running community to keep as much textile waste out of out of landfill as possible i don't know if you want to yeah, so um, thank yeah. That, that, I think that that accelerates us, yeah. that accelerates us ha- quickly through all sorts of fascinating stuff about India. So I'm sorry about that, but yeah. So the the average life of a running shoe on our feet is four to six months. Uh, once you've worn them out, you chuck them in landfill and they hang around for a thousand years. Um, mm-hmm. And and that so those sort of statistics of you know it's out of sight, out of mind. It's fascinating. There's an American guy called. Um, Rob Greenfield, and he did a really nice experiment. He called himself Trash Man, and he decided to wear all of his trash for a month. So if he had a McDonald's, he'd drink the cup and put it in his plastic bag. And by the end mm-hmm. of the month, he's wearing so many bin bags, he can't get onto the underground in New York. But it's so interesting that, because as you were just saying then, it's not not shipping it off. It's not out yeah, of sight. It's somewhere, isn't it? Like, it's, mm. a good, it's a good fact that you just said about the trainers, because... Um, I so every pair of shoes or every trainer that's ever been made is still here somewhere. It's still here somewhere. Mm. And only last year, um, not last year, this is 2000, maybe like 10 years ago, a company like Adidas, who are not the biggest, um, would, were making like 400, 403 million pairs of shoes. And that's, that's, that's in one year. One year in 2016. So, and they're not the biggest company. They're like the second biggest. So Nike will be making maybe two thirds more than that. So where, like, where is, where is it all? It's still here somewhere. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It blows my mind. I really love your approach of just trying to tackle your little niche rather than just complaining that we need to bring down society and have a little grumble. It's I really like that you're just trying to tackle your corner of the world. So can you tell me, Charlotte, about um, race T-shirts? You know, when you enter a race, you get a T-shirt. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so when we started to uh, accept donations, 70, at least 70%, uh, and on some months more, our donations would be at least 70% race T-shirts. So the T-shirts that you get at the end of a race, when you sign up for a race, um, uh, things are changing now, but that you haven't asked for. It's just a freebie with the with the race entry. Um, and we have over, we've been going maybe two and a half years and through the door, we've had about 10 10,000 come through our door. So they make up all of our, so many of our donations. Okay. Well, are you, do you have any connection or do you know of uh, the people at Trees Not Tees? Yes. So we're Can you really tell me proud. about them? Yes. So Jim Mann, it's his, um, it's his brain child. And he, um, he, I, I believe that he started Trees Not Tees inspired by inspired by Rerun because he also wanted to do something, and he um, works with race organisers to um, offer an option of either a T-shirt or you plant a tree. So you don't get a T-shirt that you don't want. Or you do because some people really value their race T-shirts, and they, yeah, occasionally um, it's wonderful, isn't it? If it's yeah. a big deal for you, 
Yeah, and they use them as training tops. Um, and the also the race organiser doesn't lose out. So he he or she or the the event will um, will not lose out in it in any way. So we really support trees not teas. We think it's a fantastic idea, and we would love for every um, event to. I mean, it would it would just make our lives so much easier because currently we've had to find homes for all these t-shirts and it's not easy like Mm. we we're led to believe that there are so many people in in well there are people in clothing crisis there are for sure but um not everybody wants it's not always appropriate to be wearing a maybe a a badly cut 100% polyester vest with a big piece of plastic that's been melted on that's not it's not been made very well so yes people are in need of clothing but the clothing doesn't always end up in the right place and it's not we just assume that they might want the they might not want the clothing that you that is being made and created so they are a problem and they are um completely plastic they are made out of plastic so it's about the equivalent of seven miles of yarn, nine nine-ish plastic bottles in one t-shirt. That's a that's that's a that's a, that's a lot of plastic. Yeah, I'm, I think. Sorry, we, I think we could speak we, for hours and oh, hours God. about uh, <laughs> about these race t-shirts. But I think one one thing that sticks out for me is is we live in a world where we consume far too much, and and that consumption really leaves a, quite a scar on the kind of natural world. And, and we just don't need that much. But the one thing about race T-shirts is that has been for years, it's just an assumption, a real irresponsibility from the organisers that we everyone wants one of these T-shirts. And to make and manufacture something that in the manufacturing process um, causes pollution, affects um like the health of the people that work it that, that make it and then to hand this and the out health of the people that don't that yeah, live yeah. in the area so they're not even involved in the in the mm-hmm. they're not benefiting they're not mm. yeah and to hand it out without even asking everyone do you want this just yeah. to give it to them and so that's why so many of them that we receive have never been used they're still in their plastic packages and it's just such a shame it's uh yeah i suspect that's one of those things of which there are so many in our lives, which someone started it and it was quite cool. And then it gradually just became the done thing to do yes. without anyone actually yeah. pausing. But there's yeah. a, couple of, a couple of stats I want to uh, say, which I got from you guys, that, that more than two tonnes of clothing are bought every minute in the UK. And then even when we take it to charity shops to ease our guilt and hopefully give them a new life, only uh, 8 to 30% of that clothes actually gets out and has any use so i realize what i haven't yet done is ask you to say what is rerun what are you guys yeah. doing i haven't asked you that question yet yeah uh rerun is 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 basically uh the simplest way to describe it is is yeah we're, we're based within the running community and we're trying to eradicate textile waste from the from the running community yeah, yeah? As, as much as possible as much as we we can and we're doing that by um uh prolonging the life of running clothing so providing a service where we collect this clothing where we denote we're donated running clothing and we sell it on as uh, at a really affordable rate um to to runners um so that it because I think when this kind of clothing, well, a lot of the time people assume that maybe people don't want secondhand running clothing, pre-loved, pre-loved gym gear, uh, which isn't true. Um, and also um, when it goes to a charity shop, it, it, it doesn't always end up on the charity shop floor. Uh, it's People don't go to charity shops to look for sports gear. There isn't a section for sports, so it, it might get lost in the, in the rails. So we hope, basically, we I hope that we are a voice for pre-loved sportswear, which is the most sustainable sportswear, which is often people ask, what is the most sustainable sport? I want to buy sustainable sportswear. And 
Well, the, the first answer is it's the stuff in your wardrobe already. And then the second one is pre-loved. It's going to stink within an hour anyway, isn't it? So whether it's pre-loved or, not, or not brand everybody new. Not everybody uh, yeah. <laughs> you should be running faster yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what I really love from your stuff is your what you call upcycled the splicing of shirts can you explain that because I, I really like that and to me by, I'd be entirely happy to wear a secondhand uh, running t-shirt wouldn't bother me at all but having these upcycled ones I'd actually go beyond thinking yeah that's fine thinking that's actually cool I've actually bought one by the way yes we, um, yes, I've, we've mailed it out to you today so, oh well yeah, I'll try yeah. and get it smelly as soon as possible yeah. so can <laughs> um, you tell me about the upcycled ones I noticed that Nike have started uh, I think they got it yeah. from us they've started well co- they've copied our design mm-hmm. but as Brilliant. well the, the, the upcycling came from just like these vol this 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 so much of these race t-shirts that we that we like our commitment is nothing goes to landfill nothing we don't pass anything on anywhere if we know ex- until we know exactly where it's going and it's going to a home and someone's going to use it so we have a lot of these t-shirts and we were like well let's try and just make something funky out of them that will that will act as not only maybe give them an avenue as a second home, but also as a bit of a statement as well. That's what we hope. A conversation um, starter. Yeah, exactly. And they, they've done really well. And, and So what, sorry, what are they? So basically they're just, uh, they're like race T-shirts, simply like cut, cut in half and then sewn together again. It's a bit like a, it's a bit like a Frankenstein, um, yeah, type race T-shirt. And we've actually started doing it with, um, with trainers as well so when you get um those trainers that come to us that they really don't have much left in them we'll we'll kind of mash up trainers together today i was putting together two pairs of trainers and making them into a kind of i don't know how you could describe it maybe maybe the best way to describe it is like crocs on acid i don't know but uh but we started doing that as well again kind of just just to yeah, as a bit of a statement and just as a bit of a talking point. Um, Which one of you's got the skills? So Charlotte, Charlotte, I <laughs> I make acid crocs and Charlotte makes the mashup. Um, I do t-shirts. the I do the material. Dan's Dan's experimenting with the shoes, and I do the t-shirts. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of people out there doing upcycling and of of raised t-shirts, which is great. There's a um people making teddy bears and uh, t-shirts into skirts can you can you give a shout and mention any mention any names or anyone so there's gin's running stitch gin's running stitch she make she she'll make anything you can just say to her i want you to make she's a very uh talented seamstress so she she's been making because a a lot of uh women and girls that the the women's t-shirts are often not great not very well cut um and and then also a lot of the time the t-shirts are unisex so not only are you not asked if you want the t-shirt you're just given a unisex t-shirt that's so she she makes these great running skirts um there's the guys that make the blankets and i can't remember what they're called um as well so there's um that there are other people doing it which is which is really brilliant and then you can you can do it yourself you could have a go you can make a bag or you could make a cushion cover or there's lots of things that that we can do to upcycle our own clothing i think if i tried to turn any of my clothing into anything it would end in a very very inappropriate skinny mankini by the time i'd finished (laughs) hacking it apart that would work that would work yeah the upcycling is great and it is something that I quite enjoy doing but but it always it always brings us down to the fact that we shouldn't need to be upcycling because essentially all the things we're upcycling are, are unwanted bits of clothing there's, there's too much clothing out there there shouldn't be all this unwanted clothing that we have to try and be creative and make into other things it, it, we should just have less clothing so no one no one's giving any away that they don't want so worldwide we're producing about 150 billion items of clothing a year which if it was to be spread out equally which it isn't it works out about 20 items per person and if that item is not made of something lovely like linen or 
you know, something that will compost, um, then it's it it it's outlasting, it's outliving us, and mm-hmm. we're producing that much clothing every every year, and so much of it is going to waste because it's 300, not thousand tons in the UK every year of clothes go to landfill. Yeah, that was a that's a um, a statistic from RAP, and as a lot of these statistics are outdated as well by like. I don't know, like maybe like five years old. Well, or I think the 2016 so. was their main report. So yeah, we could definitely do. So it will it uh, will have increased yeah. as well. Yeah, it will have increased. So Dan, you when you going off to your when you're going off to your prestigious ultra running events, surely for those races you must be sporting the latest Nike <laughs> swaggy sw- fancy gear, aren't you? An elite no, athlete like yourself, most definitely marginal not. gains no. and all that. Yeah, so I think it's possible you do get marginal gains, but I I think the bigger gains are to be had for the for the the environment's more important. So I yeah, a couple of years ago, maybe more, maybe two and a half years ago, I I haven't bought any new clothes, including running equipment or running trainers for yeah for about two and a half years, and I, I make a point of running always in secondhand gear or just not or just stuff i've had for for a long long time and it it hasn't really it it hasn't really affected performances i've had in races i still seem to do reasonably well run at a reasonably like elite level yeah in fact i've just been tie-dyeing old race t-shirts with beetroot and um and onion to to write to use on the John O'Groats to Land's End uh, run. Yeah, Dan has been saying I, I don't wear a lot of I don't wear those I don't wear a lot of running clothing. So, but Dan increasingly says that he doesn't want to wear like he, he he's becoming really aware that it's well, yeah, really I plasticky. Think, yeah, and yeah, I think nice. what happens with rerun is a bit like when you start talking to Charlotte about India and you, and and it kind of goes into different avenues like. Um, the Bollywood. We we started off just wanting to uh, cut textile waste in the running community, but the more the more work we do, the more kind of avenues are opened. And I because I'm working with polyester quite a lot, and I've been printing on polyester, and I've been trying to dye polyester. You really get a you really get an insight into what a hideous material it is, and and you you really understand that it's. It's just that petroleum-based plastic. You can smell it. You can. It's toxic. And then you start to think to yourself, "Well, like I'm running in this, and I'm sweating and heating up my body, and I must be seeping in this poisonous, carcinogenic. It can't be good for us. It can't be good for us." And then you start to look around, and you see that, like. It, like the majority of the people in the streets are walking around, including me. We, it's really hard not to in this kind of plastic clothing. And like, what is that doing next to our skin? So yeah, I'm. Well, I don't know. I'm. I'm trying more to like dye a t-shirt and turmeric. So if I'm absorbing something, at least I'm absorbing something that's you know that, that can be good for me and is in is natural. I mean. And I don't in desperate know. times, you can give your T-shirt a suck, get a bit of beetroot juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just exactly. Get marginal yeah. gains I mean, that yeah, way. I, I think I, my prediction would be, and this is not based on anything, and rather it's just a hunch that in in ten or twenty years' time, it will it will be a real like I will know what they've been putting in uh, T-shirts and polyester, and it, it will all be banned. You know, it's 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 like the the weed killer they used to spray and stuff that's now been banned, like mm. some of those things. I just I just think it's crazy how we were so accepting of it as well. We just wear these these things and we don't really know what's in them. And, and firms don't – they're not obliged to tell you what they no. put in there at all. So. We, we just sorted 2,000 race T-shirts to go to collective aid. So they're going to refugees in, um, in Calais. And the – film that it leaves it leaves this like oily and your hands are dirty and these are new t-shirts and my fingers are black and kind of they've got this oily film on them after you finished right. working with them which is a bit disturbing gosh we live in crazy times there are so many things i'd love yeah. to keep asking you but i'm going to finish the final question which is how can 
we, the listeners of this podcast, help with rerun? What can we do to help? So we, um, awareness is the key. I would love to see people posting, sharing, talking about old kit rather than new kit. Um, mm. That would be wonderful for me. Um, I spend time on social media and I, I, I do enjoy it. Um, and there's a lot about new this, new that. And I like the old stories and I, I get a lot of joy out of that. And I, I'd like to see that change in culture where we, um, you know, Dan's got a pair of trainers that he's been wearing for years that have run the Gobi, that have been to Jordan, that have been to India. And, and I think if we can start having more of those conversations, then we can reconnect with our clothing and, and that will have a big effect and help us to hold on to it for longer and care for it and repair it. Um, so how you can help is, yeah, start a relationship with the clothing that you've already got and then talk about it. Yeah. So um, can I butt in? There? Yeah. Is that right? I, I think I say this quite a lot is the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing everyone can do, especially when, I mean, we talk about clothing, but this, you know, this works for everything as well. Anything you're buying is before you buy any item of clothing or anything, like ask yourself and answer it honestly, do I really need it? And if you don't need it, then don't don't buy it. Because it, it's just win-win. If you don't overconsume, you don't damage the environment, you don't damage the earth, and also you don't spend money. So then you don't need to work as hard and you can spend more time with your family and out in nature. And, and it's just that simple question. Do I, do I really need it? And answer it honestly. And if you don't, then don't buy it. But before any purchase, please ask yourself that. Yeah. So there was a report by um, Waste and Resources Action Programme, RAP, uh, during COVID-19, because that's we're recording this just uh out of lockdown and it's estimated that 67 million items of clothing have been sorted uh ready for uh by families ready for that they don't want anymore that that, uh, that's now unwanted so if any of your listeners have had a clear out and they have some of that clothing then to make sure that um, because the, the the survey that was done came back that mo most people want to take it to charity shops, but after charity shops, the next biggest uh, way of disposing of those clothing was to the bin. So we should never, never put clothing in the bin. Even if you think you wouldn't use it anymore, there are, uh, and that it's disgusting or uh, that, that in my experience, there are, you're, you're probably wrong. So there is an avenue for it. I know uh, a lady on Instagram that makes amazing um, uh, baskets out of tights, worn tights, and they look beautiful. So even Do your you old tights. No, I will. Okay. Uh, send it to me I, later. Yeah, I will send it to you okay. later. Um, so never put clothing or shoes in the bin. And if you have any sportswear, uh, we'd happily take it from you and you can find where to donate it on our website um but which is a rerunclothing.org um and yeah make sure that that clothing that you have put aside goes to a charity shop um and not in the bin but cool. but also have a look at it again before you uh donated yeah, because there true. might be items in there that you can keep and can use rather than uh, buying something new to replace it mm. yeah um, charlotte and dan i've really really loved talking to you thank you so much for your time and your enthusiasm um i've really enjoyed it and uh, all the very best of luck with the run and um well i look forward to my t-shirt arriving then i'll have no excuse not to get out and start running more yeah. so Thank you. Keep doing the brilliant things you're doing. And thank you very much for giving me your time this evening. Thank you, man. Thanks thank for you. having us. Yeah. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. If you did, please do rate and review the series on your podcast app. 
It really helps. Please also take a quick screenshot right now and send it to any of your friends who might appreciate listening. There are dozens of episodes for them to dip into. And if you enjoy mulling over the questions on my deck of cards, you can now try them out yourself. I've put them all into a notebook for living adventurously, which you can buy on my website. And whilst you're there, why not sign up for one of my three email newsletters or two other podcast series? Okay, enough of the sales talk. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening to Living Adventurously. I hope you'll come again soon.